How much you pay for the hat? Uh, 25. I think I get a hat at least once a month. <laughs> How many Trump hats do you have? Uh, probably 40 or so. How much money have you spent on Trump swag? A couple thousand dollars. Wow, that's a lot. But people are having a hard time paying for the necessities. Right. Right. Especially MAGA people. Can't understand why they're out of money. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. Okay. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles. This is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI and Round Mountains KKRN, up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW. Lanchester, Pennsylvania's W News, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, in Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950. KTNF, we also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the internet. So on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans. NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, Detour Talk, and most of your favorite podcast sites. Blanketing Planet Earth. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow. Says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today for another thrilling edition of the Bradcast. Uh, Before we get to our guest today... A uh, man who spent years as what he describes as an ultra-MAGA supporter of Donald Trump. Just not unlike Desi Doyen here. <laughs> um, hi, Des. Hi. <laughs> uh, who, who voted for him. The guy uh, voted for Donald Trump uh, twice, actually four times, he notes, because of the primaries and the general back in 2016 and 2020, before he then finally had an epiphany. And deprogrammed himself, essentially, beginning sometimes in 2021. He will be joining us today. And I, I look very forward to uh, very much forward to speaking with him to find out, among other things, both why he went in to the MAGA cult and how he finally came out of it. And I think that might be very helpful for not just people who actually are still in the ultra MAGA cult, but uh, for their friends and their family, family members, members who, who have family members yeah. who have been lost to the MAGA cult. Yes, I, I identify with that. Not, no, I'm not naming any names I here. I you aren't, but I'm I just certainly saying, do. Yeah. Anyway, before we get to him today, uh, some quick coverage of the two big ongoing and sadly continuing stories today. President Biden on Wednesday said Egypt's president has agreed to open a border crossing into Gaza that will allow in 20 trucks, at least for now, with humanitarian aid. 
Biden said he spoke with Egypt President Abdel Fattah el-Sisi after his visit to Israel, where leaders there agreed to allow the aid in. Israel sealed off the Gaza Strip, stopping all entry of food, water, medicine, and fuel to its 2.3 million people following the horrific attack by Hamas in Israel on October 7, which reportedly killed some 1,400 people in Israel. Israel's response in return since then is said to have resulted in the deaths of more than 3,000 Palestinians and, along with it, a massive humanitarian crisis which continues at this hour. In remarks from Israel, President Biden, who visited on Tuesday to become the first U.S. president to visit Israel during wartime, cautioned uh, Israelis to not be, quote, consumed by similar rage that the U.S. acted upon following 9-11. Justice must be done. But I caution this while you feel that rage. Don't be consumed by it. After 9-11, we were enraged in the United States. While we sought justice and got justice, we also made mistakes. I'm the first U.S. president to visit Israel in time of war. I've made wartime decisions. I know the choices are never clear or easy for the leadership. There's always cost, but it requires being deliberate. It requires asking very hard questions. It requires clarity about the objectives and an honest assessment about whether the path you're on will achieve those objectives. <clears throat> the vast majority of Palestinians are not Hamas. Hamas does not represent the Palestinian people. I'm glad he raised 9-11 there. It's something that I've been bringing up for the past uh, week or two yes. by way of, uh, well, discussing Congress and what's going on in Congress. And we'll get to that in a minute. But the uh, notion that acting too quickly, too rashly, too much out of rage instead of common sense after 9-11 here in the U.S. came at an extraordinary cost, of course, uh, you know, to the people of Iraq who had nothing to do with 9-11, uh, people in Afghanistan and uh, the American people as well, uh, f who paid a cost that should have never been paid for what happened. Had we just slowed down and, you know, didn't act out of rage and so forth. So I'm glad he, he, he cited that. Now, as to the massive blast and explosion that took place at a Gaza City hospital, uh, I think it was after we got off air uh, yesterday, it killed hundreds of people there, uh, and it came just hours before Joe Biden's trip to Tel Aviv, according to AP. That explosion has put an immense strain on Gaza doctors treating the wounded as medical supplies have run out. The announcement on Wednesday to allow food, water and other supplies came as rage over that explosion on Tuesday night at the Al-Ali Hospital spread across the Middle East. It was just before Biden's visit and uh, a visit hoping to show U.S. support for Israel to prevent a wider conflict in the region from being sparked here and to open up Gaza to this much needed humanitarian aid as the situation there grows more dire by the hour. Aliyah Zaki, a spokesperson for the World Food Program, said today, quote, it's not just that people are hungry 
in Gaza, people are at the risk of starvation. More than one million Palestinians have fled their homes. Roughly half of Gaza's population and 60 percent are now in the approximately eight-mile-long area south of the evacuation zone, according to the U.N. There have been wildly conflicting claims for who was responsible for the hospital explosion since Tuesday night. Hamas officials in Gaza quickly blamed an Israeli airstrike, saying nearly 500 were killed. Israel denied that it was involved and released a flurry of video and audio and other information that it said showed that the blast was instead due to a rocket misfire by Islamic Jihad, another militant group operating in Gaza. Islamic Jihad dismissed that claim. The Israeli military, however, hold a briefing on Wednesday morning, laying out its case for why it was not responsible for the explosion at the hospital. An Israeli military spokesperson said, uh, explained that it was that the uh, military was not firing in the area when the blast occurred. And he said Israeli radar confirmed a rocket barrage was fired by the Palestinian militant group from a nearby cemetery at the same time of the blast, around 6.59 p.m. local time. Independent video showed one of the rockets in the barrage falling out of the sky, he said. The misfired rocket hit the parking lot outside the hospital. But were it an airstrike, he asserted there would have been a crater there. Instead, the fiery blast came from the misfired rocket's warhead and its unspent propellant. That, according to the Israeli military. The U.S. is said to be reviewing the evidence surrounding what happened at the hospital, but Biden's remarks from Israel on Wednesday... During those remarks, the president noted uh, with the caveat, quote, based on the information we've seen to date, he said that it appeared the errant missile uh, missile was fired by the group in Gaza. They were to blame as he called for support, nonetheless, for Palestinian civilians and described some of his efforts to urge Israel to allow that humanitarian aid into Gaza, quote, as soon as possible. Palestinian people are suffering greatly as well. We mourn the loss of innocent Palestinian lives like the entire world. I was outraged and saddened by the enormous loss of life yesterday in the hospital in Gaza. Based on the information we've seen to date, it appears the result of an errant rocket fired by a terrorist group in Gaza. The United States unequivocally stands for the protection of civilian life during conflict. And I grieve, I truly grieve for the families who were killed or wounded by this tragedy. People of Gaza need food, water, medicine, shelter. Today, I asked the Israeli cabinet, who I met with for some time this morning, to agree to the delivery of life-saving humanitarian assistance to civilians in Gaza, based on the understanding that there will be inspections and that the aid should go to civilians, not to Hamas. Israel agreed the humanitarian assistance can begin to move from Egypt to Gaza. Let me be clear. If Hamas diverts or steals, the assistance, they will have demonstrated once again that they have no concern for the welfare of the Palestinian people. And it will end. <clears throat> As a practical matter, it will, it will stop the international community from being able to provide this aid. <clears throat> We're working in close cooperation with the government of Egypt, the United Nations, and its agencies like the World Program and other partners in the region to get trucks moving across the border as soon as possible.
separately. I ask Israel that the global community demand that the International Red Cross be able to visit hostages, a just demand that the United States fully supports. Today, I'm also announcing $100 million in new U.S. funding for humanitarian assistance in both Gaza and the West Bank. This money will support more than 1 million displaced and conflict-affected Palestinians, including emergency needs in Gaza. In his brief visit, the president tried to strike a balance between showing U.S. support for Israel while containing spiking alarm among Arab allies over its uh, over the death toll after Tuesday's explosion. Upon his arrival, for example, Biden embraced Prime Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and expressed concern for the suffering of Gaza's civilians. The White House says late today that the uh, president will deliver a primetime Oval Office address on Thursday night after he returns home from the Middle East to address both Israel and Ukraine. Perhaps he will, he will explain uh, as to that $100 million he announced there at the end. Right. Uh, it's not entirely clear where that money will come from, whether it is money that is already available for the U.S. to send for humanitarian aid or if it needs to be appropriated by Congress. Congress which is currently not doing anything. Well, if, if it is Congress, well, those uh, suffering in Gaza may be waiting for a while for that $100 million. Uh, Republican Congressman Jim Jordan failed yet again on Wednesday on a crucial second ballot to become the new U.S. House Speaker. The ally of Donald Trump and Ohio's far-right election denialist Jim Jordan's second loss on the House floor on Wednesday came after he received 20 votes against him from his own party on Tuesday when he first failed to reach the 217 votes that would that are needed to become the next House Speaker. So on Tuesday, 20 of his own colleagues voted against him. And then in the second round of voting on Wednesday, 22 of his own Republican colleagues voted against him. He He's is going the wrong way. Going in the wrong direction, isn't he? Uh, or as uh, some concerned about, you know, someone like Jim Jordan becoming House Speaker and becoming second in line to the president uh, to the presidency uh, some of those folks might say well this is all going in the right direction perhaps jordan and his uh, thuggish election denying colleagues in the house and the heavies that he has working for him over at fox news hi sean hannity who has who has been threatening opponents who dare not vote for jim jordan maybe they'll begin to realize that they need to come up with you know Another solution, if the U.S. House is ever to be opened back up to carry out the people's business, much less allocate funding to the Israel-Hamas conflict, uh, and all of that, you know, before the federal government will shut down for lack of a regular old annual spending bill as of November 17, which will cut off paychecks to millions of Americans. And, by the way, uh, they need to come up with something here, come up with a speaker before the Federal Aviation Authority, the FAA, must shut down entirely for lack of reauthorization. All of that just before the Thanksgiving holidays. So that should help uh, Republicans win friends and influence people. <laughs> 
Now, yeah. the uh, next steps at this point remain uncertain. There is no further uh, no further vote was scheduled for Wednesday. A third vote is theoretically scheduled for um, for Thursday. Well, no vote on Wednesday. A third vote theoretically scheduled for Thursday. I guess with J- Jim Jordan again. What is the definition of insanity? A uh, bipartisan group of lawmakers, meanwhile, have been floating what would be an extraordinary plan to give the interim speaker pro tem, Congressman Patrick McHenry of North Carolina, more power to somehow uh, reopen the immobilized house and to temporarily conduct routine business. If this matter is to be resolved, it does seem more and more likely that it's going to be Democrats somehow who are going to have to come in and save the day for a wholly dysfunctional Republican Party now in Congress. None of this, however, should be a surprise to anyone who has been paying even cursory attention to the course that the GOP and its supporters have been on for years now. And while it did not start with Donald Trump and MAGA, he and they, along with right-wing media, have made things worse and more dysfunctional for years, year after year. The American people, of course, are ultimately the victims of this madness, but it frankly, it's those whose lives have been turned upside down, and there are millions of them turned upside down thanks to a megalomaniacal, narcissistic cult leader and the Republicans who continue to support him and his cult-like MAGA movement that continue to pay an enormous price for all of this, whether they realize it or not. And whether they can save themselves to somehow help save our nation and the world along with it, well, that is still uh, an open question and very much an uphill climb. But one of those self-identified ultra-MAGA folks has recently found his way out of the crazy MAGA rabbit hole, and he's hoping to help others like him to find their way out as well. Rich Logis joins us next to discuss his path to what he describes as becoming a, quote, born-again human being after years in thrall to Donald Trump. That is straight ahead on today's broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter, and we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. doesn't necessarily make you crazy, but if you haven't figured it out by now, you might be a member of a political cult, I think. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Longtime Republican pundit turned never-Trumper Bill Kristol for years prior to 
Trump's emergence had a well-deserved and well-known, at least among progressives, uh, history of pretty much always being politically and, yes, factually wrong about almost everything. On Tuesday morning on the site still known as Twitter, Bill Kristol tweeted out, quote, I came to D.C. to work in the Reagan administration because, to oversimplify, it was pro-Constitution, pro-U.S. global leadership, pro-military, pro-Israel, pro-democratic capitalism, and pro-American dream. And that's why I now support the Biden administration and Democrats. Now, to be frank... I'm not really sure how to feel about that. I'm happy that he's finally seen the light, I think, but I'm wildly uncomfortable finding myself on the same general political side as Bill Kristol, for crying out loud. But Kristol is right, and he deserves credit, even if I cannot believe I just said that aloud. He is now, and in fact has been for many years now, admitting that he was wrong about what he thought to be his Republican Party, at least in its modern-day Trump-era incarnation, and that he not only opposes Trump's extremist MAGA Republican Party, but is actually doing the only sensible thing to oppose it by putting his money where his mouth is and supporting the Biden administration and Democrats. I suspect none of that was or is easy for Bill Kristol, given his history. But, of course, he's not the only one from the right-wing punditry world to realize fairly early on that Donald Trump was a liar and a con man and a threat to both the Republican Party and, more importantly, to the republic itself. There are a group of them who have formed uh, organizations like the Lincoln Project and Republicans for Accountability. But there are arguably many more, like Crystal, far too many, who might have been just sort of -of run-of-the-mill, if ardent, rock-ribbed Republicans who are still on the Trump train, despite all that we know about him. And they appear ready to ride out that train down the rabbit hole to the molten core of the earth, if necessary. And then there are some who, though it arguably took far too long, have now, at least years later, after one disastrous term in office, a wildly mishandled pandemic, two impeachments, an attempted stolen election, four criminal indictments and countless civil verdicts against him later, finally finally now begun to see the better late than never light. For many years, Rich Logis, as he noted over the summer in an opinion piece at Newsweek, voted Republican. He was a self-described ultra-MAGA, four-time Donald Trump voter. That would be twice in the primaries and twice in the general elections, as opposed to so many Trumpers who literally committed voter fraud by voting multiple times for him, even while claiming without evidence that the Democratic Party is somehow committing widespread voter fraud, or the Democrat Party, as they tend to describe them. Logis says he also voted for Ron DeSantis in 2018 in the Florida gubernatorial primary and in the general elections. His own right-wing punditry, he notes, was read by millions. He wrote text for Trump's voter outreach call scripts pro bono. He made volunteer calls to voters on behalf of the Trump and DeSantis campaigns. But then, as he now notes in his Newsweek opinion piece, quote, I am here to tell you that I was wrong about all of it. 
through a slow and painful process, he says. He went from ultra-MAGA to never-Trump and never-DeSantis. For a long time, he writes, I sincerely believed in Make America Great Again. I convinced myself that a Hillary Clinton or Joe Biden victory represented the end of the United States as we knew it. The intensity of my MAGA feelings strained my marriage and my relationships with my children. I severed ties with some of the most important mentors and influences in my life, all because I believed Democrats were malignant and nefarious. Over the next several months, Logis explains, I went through the process of politically demagaizing myself. I challenged all of my beliefs in a process that was personally and existentially tumultuous. Mind, spirit, and emotions warred with each other, he says. Nowadays, that man who so nonchalantly dehumanized Democrats is unrecognizable to me. But that does not absolve me of my responsibility for my choices and votes. Though I cannot reverse time, I can control how I make amends in the future, he writes. Trump, DeSantis, and MAGA supporters are mostly good, decent people who had valid reasons for voting how they did, how I once did, he argues. Adding, my purpose in writing this is to implore you to think inward, to candidly ask yourself, what if some of my non-negotiable conclusions are mistaken or incomplete or too black and white in a complex world of gray? Healing is not a painless endeavor, but it is liberating, he says. Now, when I first began reading about Logis, I thought, well, this guy is way too smart. He could not really have fallen for MAGA, not at least for all of these years. He must be a progressive, posing as a former MAGA guy in some sort of act of political activism or something. But no, I went back and I looked at some of his years of writing, and yes, he was a far right right winger who wrote regularly for many years for the Federalist Society for crying out loud. In a recent posting of his at Daily Coast, yes, that's quite a turn. That's a progressive news blogging and advocacy site. In an article that he wrote there headlined, I'm living proof that others can leave MAGA. There are likely more of us than we realize. Logis explains, quote, I owned a dozen Trump hats and shirts and sent money to his campaign that could have been spent on my family needs. I thought of Logis last night when the Daily Show's Jordan Klepper spoke to an ultra MAGA dude at a recent Trump rally in New Hampshire. Nick, take me through your fit. Uh, well, I bought the socks in town. These socks have uh, Trump hair on it. Yes, sir. Uh, How much uh, did you pay for this sweatshirt? Forty dollars. Yeah. How much you pay for the hat? Uh, twenty-five. I think I get a hat at least once a month. <laughs> How many Trump hats do you have? Uh, probably 40 or so. How do you feel America's doing under Biden? Economically? Uh, not good. Uh, I think, you know, inflation and the gas price, everything has gone up. Milk and eggs are just through the roof, like buying regular food. Is, yeah. You know, so you've got to work four jobs to pay your rent. And yeah. How much money have you spent on Trump swag? A couple thousand dollars. <laughs> wow, that's a lot. But people are having a hard time paying for the necessities. Right. <laughs> now, I don't know if Rich Logis was ever in that deep, but either way, 
How did he finally come to see the light, which he describes finally beginning to do, not until the summer of 2021? How did this clear, uh, clearly very smart person, at least based on what I have read from his writings and chatting a bit with him in recent days, uh, both get himself in to the ultra MAGA cult for so many years? And perhaps far more importantly, how did he finally find his way out of it. Logis is now, like Bill Crystal, I guess, no offense intended there, Rich, a former member of the Republican Party and founder of PerfectOurUnion.us, an organization dedicated to healing political traumatization and building diverse pro-democracy, pro-democracy alliances. Rich Logis, welcome and thank you for joining us today on the broadcast, sir. Hi, Brad. Uh, thank you so much for having me. As as you were running down all of that info, I, I'm just I'm thinking to myself, I cannot believe that I actually thought so much of that, but mm. I did. And you know, I'll I'll get into the reasons why MAGA activism mm-hmm. tra- I was attracted to it, mm-hmm. why I stayed, and and why I left. Yeah, and, let me start there because I, you know. But there's a lot of folks out there who I suspect uh, others like you or those with family members and friends like you that may have fallen way down this MAGA rabbit hole, but who have no clue how to get out of it, even if they finally, you know, suspect, as you eventually did, that you had been had. So before we talk about how you came to see the light, uh, you know, I like I said, I know from your writings and our brief conversation, you're a very smart person. What is it about Trump that pulled you in to the MAGA world in the first place early on when he was, frankly, so obviously a con man to to many of us. So that my entree into MAGA, I have to go back to the year 2000. Mm -hmm. I was living in New York. Uh, It was my first presidential election I voted in, and I voted for Ralph Nader. I knew that my vote wasn't really going to matter in the Electoral College, but I liked Ralph Nader's campaign for one reason predominantly, which was that I figured out that both parties did not like him. And that was that in my adult life politically really started with that election with Ralph Nader's candidacy. My disdain for the two party system, the genesis of it was Mm -hmm. during that 2000 election. So I went a decade and a half disdaining and loathing this two party system. I was political, but I always say that I was also, looking back on it, quite ignorant. Mm. So as somebody who was not far left or far right, mostly on issues, when Trump came along, I wasn't one of these guys who, at the time he came down the elevator, I said, yes, I'm all in from the moment he came down the elevator. But what I did figure out relatively soon after that was that both parties didn't like him. So for A person as myself Mm. who had spent years and years and years believing that the two parties were essentially the same, that they were two sides of the same coin. Mm. Here came Trump saying, yes, I'm running as a Republican, but I think the system is broken. I think elected leaders have failed people and I'm coming in to take a sledgehammer to it. Once I figured that out, Brad, I was in. Mm. I said, you know what? That's the kind of guy right now I'd like to see actually as president. Because he represented for me, he affirmed for me what I had believed about the two-party system. Mm. And while and while I will not, everyone has agency, everyone is responsible for their own choices and decisions. And so I say none of this as a self-defense. Mm-hmm. 
But I think being attracted to a candidate or a campaign because of a skepticism of the two-party system, I think is actually a very anodyne, non-controversial reason. Mm -hmm. I wasn't attracted to Trump because of what he said about immigrants or race or religion. Yes, there were times that eyebrows were raised, but that wasn't really why I gravitated to his campaign. Mm. I thought, here's a guy coming in who's blunt, who's candid. He's going to come in. He's going to take a flamethrower to the place. I want to be in on that. Now, once I got in, though, Brad, I was around many others who felt very strongly about the need for a person like Trump as president. Well, and I allowed myself to be influenced by many others, which is why that rabbit hole, it kept getting deeper and deeper for me as I stayed in MAGA. And that, you know, that I understand your description of how you could be attracted in the first place makes sense. But then you stayed there for years, year after year, uh, election after yes. election, seeing what this guy was actually doing, what he was actually about. Um, what what kept you there before? Well, I'll get to, uh, you know, how you finally got out of it. What but what kept you there all of those years? The more I stayed in the campaign and was around people who felt that the Democratic Party and Hillary Clinton were existential threats to the country. I was very sympathetic, actually, to that view, because I, I saw Hillary as someone who embodied all that I disliked about the two-party system. Mm -hmm. So there was this really toxic, perfect storm and mm -hmm. amalgam of factors. There was this confluence of factors that all aligned themselves between Trump being brash, not giving a you-know-what, my dislike of the two-party system, the those I was around who were influencing me. And I came to conclude, and I know that it's going to really sound illogical for so many listeners, and I understand that because our species tends to like neat, tidy answers. Mm. The more and more that I was around others who were in the MAGA world, in the right-wing world, the more I came to conclude that the Democratic Party and Hillary Clinton needed to be stopped because if they won the election, they would never lose another election ever again. And anyone who was not a Democrat was going to be rendered irrelevant in their own country. And Brad, if somebody mm. believes that, Mm -hmm. You know, if someone really believes that, as I genuinely believe that, that person will support anyone or anything. Did you still believe and, that four years later then when uh, Trump was running against Joe Biden? I did. I did because and there's a couple of reasons why. And there's there's actually one reason that I, I think perhaps may stand atop all of them. And it may be actually related to that little interview that you had with the Trump voter with the 40 hats. Right. When we were in the in the MAGA world, those who were Trump voters, we felt that we were the quote unquote real Americans, that we were on the side of good versus the evil Democrats, the evil rhinos, Republicans in name only, and the evil globalists. So because we felt that, we I thought of myself as this patriotic soldier in an existential battle to preserve and save America with Trump as the general. Mm -hmm. And 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 because of believing that, yes, I knew that there were times that Trump said something, did something that I knew deep down was not something that in a normal circumstance I would defend. 
But I didn't think of us as being in normal circumstances because of this threat that was posed to our lives and our livelihoods and our businesses and our families by this Democratic Party. And whenever Trump, in the four years of his presidency, whenever he was attacked, we felt that that was an attack on all of us. And that's the, and that's the challenge with the with a lot of the invective and a program that is that is lobbed against Trump voters mm-hmm. right now, especially that every time there was this something from the press or something from the Democratic Party or something from a Republican that attacked Trump, we thought that he came in. We genuinely believe that he came in to truly change that Washington system. And I do think to this day, Brad, and I will continue to maintain this, that Trump voters did have some valid good reasons for supporting his candidacy, such as, as examples, feelings of being, uh, feeling unheard, unrecognized, left behind by politicians. I think a lot of Americans feel that way. Yeah. The, the observing, observing jobs going overseas, which yes, Mm -hmm. was a, was a, was a bipolar. There were bipartisan culprits, which Mm -hmm. again, actually affirmed Trump's candidacy as someone not of that world, or at least we thought not of that world, watching communities get hollowed out. Mm -hmm. Those were actual valid good reasons, as I see it. And that's why so many MAGA voters, they deep down are good people. I do believe that they have a goodness and a decency. And while I don't defend ignorance, the reason that they stay with MAGA, the reason I stay with MAGA, the reason so many others do to this day is because I and they all of us were politically traumatized by right-wing MAGA politics, exploited. Mm-hmm. Those who had valid concerns, and even President Obama, to some extent, before the 2016 election, acknowledged that some of those concerns for supporting Trump were credible, legitimate issues. But, of course, President Obama, now I realize, was correct in what he said, which is that Mr. Trump was exploiting and leveraging those fears and those concerns for his game. Do you feel that during the, do you feel that you were ultimately conned by that and that I, I yes the, and that the MAGA yes. folks were are actually at least those who are still in there are actually in a cult as you see it. I I know that some will perhaps say that speaking of MAGA as a cult could inadvertently um, maybe it could inadvertently impugn the integrity of those who are in MAGA. I I will say for myself MAGA was a cult for me. I, when I woke up in the morning, I thought about MAGA. I went through my day thinking about MAGA. I went to bed thinking about MAGA. God knows I probably dreamt about MAGA. And then I got up the next day and I did it all over again. It was all consuming for me. Mm. Let, and, let the me... More, and, and, and the more I was involved in the MAGA world, the more I came to see and believe and conclude that that I and we and MAGA were on the correct side of history and everybody else was on the wrong side of history. And with that in mind, and because we don't have enough time, boy, I could talk to you for hours, I'm sure, Rich. Uh, you, you describe in the uh, summer of 2021, your uh, Florida governor, Ron DeSantis, who, who you supported, um, that his actions were ultimately iris- uh, in- instrumental, at least, in your, uh, quote, personal political epiphany that you cite uh, Hemingway to note occurred gradually and then all at once. What happened to finally 
reverse your course after so many years, because as important as it is as to why you went in in the first place, I would say arguably uh, what's really important here is how the hell you got out of it. So what happened that finally reversed your course after so long? And that is an important detail uh, in saying that it was actually Ron DeSantis and not Trump who was the catalyst for my leaving MAGA. Even to this day, I will say I believe in fairness to Ron DeSantis that in the first year and a half, of the pandemic, I thought he handled it relatively well, as as well as he could have given that data was changing on a daily basis. By the summer of 2021, if we recall, that's when the Delta surge came in. Mm -hmm. And and when Delta came in, we started to see children get sick. We even saw the rare COVID-related death of children. And I remember because Ron DeSantis was actually very staunchly pro vaccine. Mm -hmm. There's a very famous photo of him uh, pushing in a wheelchair, a senior citizen Mm -hmm. for the senior citizen to get their vaccine. And I remember at that time, a lot of the anti-vaccine hysteria and paranoia on the MAGA side had become pervasive. And I, and I recall thinking Ron DeSantis is going to sever himself from this anti-vaccine hysteria and paranoia. He's going to divorce himself. He's going to continue to remain a staunch advocate. And seemingly overnight, Brad, he not only became a staunch opponent of the vaccine, but he continued on a path of not just opposing it, but now saying that it that it likely harms people and may even result in death. I have two small children. Okay, I have two small kids and I was not I wasn't overly concerned about them getting sick at the time of Delta. And I'm not saying that seniors or any other age group dying was not and isn't tragic. But when kids are getting sick, it means the disease was was becoming more infectious. And when children started to get sick and Ron DeSantis accepted that those avoidable that avoidable death and suffering was acceptable, that was the time, that moment in the summer of 21, Brad, is when there was a there was a jolt and a shock to my system. And it was then that I began to question my support for Trump and DeSantis and for MAGA, because I thought that there was a line that I came upon that line of demarcation. Uh-huh. And there was a, and there was and that line is of the acceptance of avoidable deaths and suffering. There was another line right around that time. Of course, the, the, the stolen election rhetoric, that traumatic language continued with Trump. Mm-hmm. But I got curious in that I wanted to understand more a lot of the groups and the conspiracies that led to the insurrection. In mm-hmm. the first six months after the insurrection, I was in the, well, it was bad, but what's, it's, it's, being, it's being overhyped. It's being exaggerated. What's the big deal? But at that time in the summer of 21, I started to get into a little bit of a different kind of rabbit hole, which was to better understand these groups. I thought they were fringe hobbyist groups initially, Brad. And then I came to realize that not only were they not, they were well orchestrated, well organized, well funded, and perhaps worst of all, had the blessing of the most powerful person in the world. Mm-hmm. And and that and that was when it started with the Republican Party, which if we recall what they how they categorized January 6th as quote legitimate political discourse, unquote. It was at that time when I also in addition to what happened with DeSantis and the vaccine, there was another line. And that line was the acceptance and the justification of politically motivated violence and a coup d'etat against we the people, our constitution, and our democratic government. 
So I came to these two lines for any for all the listeners to, to, to visualize this. I came to this line about acceptable deaths and suffering and political and the, and the defense of politically motivated violence. At those two lines, I decided that I could not cross those lines. Mm. And I give thanks every single day that I didn't, because while I cannot prove this next statement, I will say much more certain than not, I, much likelier than not. Mm-hmm. Had I crossed those lines, I I probably would have gotten too deep into the rabbit hole and I would have never been able to reverse and get out of MAGA. And it, it's a what if that I think about on a daily basis because I look at all the other MAGA voters around the country and I think to myself, I don't want them to get to a point where it is irreversible. It's a principle called sunk cost fallacy. Once you get into something, you're so heavily invested in it, morally, spiritually, emotionally, financially, one is so deep and wide invested, they cannot reverse course. Thankfully for me, I probably was closer than I realized. I was facing that abyss, but thankfully I was able to realize that I needed to get out of that world, and I left. How did you, uh, you write about the process of, quote, politically demagaizing myself. Uh, how did you go about that once you realized you had been misled, perhaps, you know, years uh, later than you, you should have, but you ultimately came to that realization? So how did you then uh, go about that? And how difficult, you know, was it for you uh, personally to come to terms with it, uh, A, with yourself, and then B, with your your friends and your family, who you said uh, you suggested you were so, somewhat estranged from because of your uh, yes. uh, love of, of Trump for all of those years. Uh, tell me about that process quickly. So I became the person I was supposedly fighting against. Uh, I, I was fighting against imaginary tyranny and I became a tyrant in my own way. I became what I was fighting against. And I, I now look back on the old rich logis before getting out of the MAGA world and I do not recognize that person. And one of the strategies that I enacted, which is so simple and so actual, I won't say it's easy to adopt, but it will make logical sense to everyone, uh-huh. is I began to diversify my information sources. Mm. I lowered I lowered the defense mechanism of the black and white world of MAGA, which was that everything in the national press, for the most part, is out to get us anyway. Why would I read XYZ, the Washington Post, the New York Times, even Fox News, we were already, we were already, they were already in disfavor with us mm-hmm. even before the 2020 election. So I def- once I began to develop more of a curiosity, I'm a former journalist from many, many years ago. Once I started to become a little bit more of that journalist, I started to realize and very painfully that so many of the right wing mythologies that I believed mm-hmm. were actually the exact opposite. The Democrats were not coming for our guns. They are they were not trying to replace white people. They were not trying to render anyone who was a Republican or a conservative irrelevant in their own nation. And when I wrote my mea culpas, Brett, I have to be in full admissive candor here. I was ambivalent about doing it, not because I was reticent about the outcome. I, I had believed that I came to the correct conclusion. I didn't actually, when I published my mea culpa, I did not think that anyone would actually care. And I'm happy to say 
that I was very wrong about that. Mm. And I think that part of the reason so many have cared about my story and why I've left MAGA, it doesn't really have anything to do with myself. It's because societally, the, our homo sapien species, it's an unnatural act for us to admit that we're wrong. Mm. And and I, you know, if we, feel, if we admit we're wrong, maybe we tell our wives or our husbands, maybe a couple of close friends, well, I decided to do it in front of millions of people right. because I felt like I, you know, I felt like I needed to do this for others to see it, even though I didn't think that anyone would really care about it. And I'm so humbled and grateful that so many respond to me and write to me and say, "Rich, I, I had, I'm now at peace more with my my father or my mother, my brother, sister who they passed away or we fell out of favor." I, I went back to those whom I severed relationships with because of how they voted. Yeah. And I, and I apologize. And these are, these are people who are some of the most influential people in my life, mentors of mine dating all the way back to college decades ago. And I went and apologized to them. Mm. And one of my mentors, Brad said to me, he said, Rich, I, I apology accepted. I always knew that you'd come back around. And that meant so much to me. That really meant so much to me because it affirmed that I think there are so many out there who are feeling remorseful, or maybe they're start maybe the remor- maybe the remorse is burgeoning, but they're they, they have qualms about going public, and I understand why because the the vitriol and the slings and arrows they'll receive for for acknowledging an error in supporting Trump it will come mostly from the right, but sometimes from the left as well. Mm. If I could take this example of leaving MAGA to tell others and say it is not a sign of weakness to acknowledge that we were wrong. It is a sign of, of personal strength and it is a positive trait to acknowledge and say, yes, I was mistaken. And for those out there listening, they are gonna have friends and family and close ones and acquaintances and others uh, in, their, in, their close, in their lives. When the time comes, because I, I believe it will happen where so many are gonna say, I, I repudiate MAGA and I renounce MAGA, it is very important for us for a national healing and reconciliation that we welcome all of those yeah. back into our lives and not shun them. Because there's a quick point. You mentioned Bill Crystal. You right, we find ourselves, you found yourself in a very unlikely alliance. Yeah. But our America, the United States has a very has a great track record of forming a necessary uh, uh, excuse me, unlikely but necessary alliances when the moment in history calls for it. Yeah. That dates back to all the way day one of our nation. And right now, the moment calls for that. Democratically, lowercase d, yeah. MAGA must be electorally defeated. And the way that will happen are necessary but unlikely alliances. Yeah, exactly. And that's why I, 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 you know, have been struggling with Bill Crystal uh, going back for years now because he has come around. He has been saying the right things, but it is an uncomfortable place to be agreeing with Bill uh, Crystal. Rich Lowe, just uh, I want to underscore one point that you made because I think it's really critical. You talked about once you came to see the light, if you will, that it was a matter of sort of changing your uh, your 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 media appetite, that what what it was yes. that you consumed. Uh, and and it, 
come brings to mind uh, Jen Sanko, and I don't know if you've been in touch with her. She's yes, yes, documentary the brainwashing of my dad. Yep, correct. Yep. And uh, she said that actually at some point her dad had a stroke. She came in while he was in the hospital and changed all of his email uh, subscriptions from these far right uh, outlets to more moderate, reasonable, and that that ended up she credits that with actually changing his outlook and bringing him back from this uh, brainwashing that he had been under for so many years in that case by Rush Limbaugh it's interesting that you're saying that that was uh, an important thing as well for you that to, to change the media you consumed each day what advice uh, do you have for people with family members who are lost to MAGA and I've only got a minute or two here but uh, I, sure. I do hope to talk more in the future but for those listening if they they have, you know, their their husbands, their wives, their, you know, mothers, fathers. What advice would you give them to try to reach out to those people and bring them towards that light you you finally discovered? Um, I'm not the most religious Catholic, admittedly, but the book of Isaiah instructs us to bring good news to the afflicted. And the book of Romans instructs us to be patient in our affliction. And I would encourage all those out there to humanize those who are still in the thrall of MAGA succumbing to right-wing mythologies is much easier than many of us realize. It is actually quite easy to fall prey to them for a variety of reasons. And I would ask those out there who have those understandable frustrations of trying to get through to their friends and loved ones, do not give up on them. Because I do believe for so many, there will be a moment that they will have their own road to Damascus moment, their own epiphany personally and politically. And if we give up on them right now, we miss out on the opportunity of being able to welcome them back into our lives. And that's how that reconciliation will occur. Um, the, the idea of perfecting our union, it is the most aspirational mythology in our nation's history. And right now, as we unite against MAGA, we are going to do our part in perfecting our union and, 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 and doing what is necessary. And so I, I would ask others out there, please do not give up on those in MAGA. We have to continue to work to humanize them and be patient. Rich, if the uh, choice next year is between Joe Biden and, and Donald Trump, uh, w- would you vote for the guy, Joe Biden, who you felt was going to destroy the uh, republic as we know it next year? Um, I am not registered with any party. I'm registered to vote. I don't, uh, I don't belong to any political party. Um, but I will say publicly that I intend to vote Democrat up and down the ballot because this Republican Party must be electorally mercy filled. I, I used mm. to be, as I mentioned, hardcore anti two party system. We've always been a two party system. We always will be. I want a better two party system, but that requires two relatively functional political parties. And whatever my reservations about some of the Democrats, uh, they are not a dysfunctional party. The Republican Party is a, is a party in name only. They are a MAGA party. That is a party that must be electorally mercy killed so we can then enable responsible Republicans to think about how they're going to come back and rebuild that Republican Party. I will not support the party. I am. I'm with you, brother. Uh, Listen, Rich Logis, I want to thank you for what you're doing. And I want to congratulate you for what I know must have been a very difficult transition to make. I hope we can still stay in touch. Uh, As we discussed over the weekend a little bit, I used to have far more Republicans on this show than I do now, because, frankly, I have a very difficult time finding any sort of Republicans out there. Uh, who are still in the party, who do anything but spout 
basically propaganda and lies. It's yes. not that, you know, we have a discussion about things we disagree with. It's that they're just forwarding lies and nonsense. So do not be surprised if I call on you every now and again to uh, at least explain what it is that your former party uh, must be thinking. Rich Logis, uh, you can find and follow him and share his uh, work and reach out to him on the site still known as Twitter. He is Perfect Our Union. You can read his stuff over at Daily Coast, where he goes by the name Leaving MAGA. And you can check out his uh, organization, PerfectOurUnion.us, dedicated to healing political traumatization and building a diverse pro-democracy alliance. Uh, great speaking with you, Rich. Congratulations again. Hope to speak to you again in the near future, sir. Anytime, Brad. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much. You bet. All right. Well, wow. um, yeah, re the Republican Party must be electorally mercy killed. Yeah, that's that's pretty strong words. But yeah. um, I, I totally yeah. understand where he's coming from. And, and I do have to say that I think that this really speaks to the uh, the strength of right wing media, that echo chamber yeah. that has been created, that alternate reality. It's sort of hermetically sealed now that I, they can enter into it and never have uh, be confronted mm. with any other information other than like what happens with Rich. Reality interfered and his actual values uh, stepped in. Yeah. And I'm not sure the, the word strength of right wing media. Yeah, I'm not, not sure right it's just either. right because what it is, I mean, it's it's the pervasiveness, maybe the manipulation yeah, of right wing media. That's a better it is far more dangerous than I think many people uh, give it credit for. I, I've been trying to point this out for years. It's not that, you know, the right wing is just media is saying stuff I disagree with. It is dangerous what they are doing. And I think Rich Logis is a testament to that. Anyway, yes, and that it can be you can escape from it. We have to uh, escape from today's broadcast. <laughs> I'm sorry to say my uh, thanks again to Rich Logis of PerfectOurUnion.us, to our producer Desi Doyen and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program or just want to share it with your friends and family. Des, you can <laughs> yes. always download it for free at bradblog.com. That is made possible by those of you who have not wasted your money on MAGA hats, but instead help us stay on your public airwaves by uh, dropping off a donation of any amount you like or going straight to bradblog.com slash donate to help us stay on your public airwaves as an antidote, if you will. Uh, drop me an email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks, Mastodons, and sites still known as Twitter, I am the Brad Blog. We will see you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. You're listening to the Bradcast. We are 100% listener-supported, thanks to listeners like you who drop by bradblog.com slash donate.